Hey, welcome. My name is Glenn Lundy. Super excited to be launching our new Breakfast with Champions podcast. Can you believe it? That's right. The Breakfast with Champions podcast has finally arrived. This is your opportunity to get motivation, education, and inspiration every single day. And ultimately, your opportunity to get a seat at the table, to be a fly on the wall, to listen in to some conversations between some of the most amazing superhumans from around the planet. We're talking about people that are doing the things you know you can do, that have reached some of those levels you know you can reach. We've got celebrity interviews with people like Tiffany Haddish and Grant Cardone, Lauren Rittiger. We've got specialists in areas like Capital Ventures, right? Or wealth building, wealth management, real estate, all kinds of incredible conversations. And what's amazing about the Breakfast with Champions podcast is you're going to be able to tune in, listen in. They won't even know you're there, right? It's just like you're, you're, you're listening in on all these incredible secrets of some of the most successful humans from all around the world. You know, when we launched Breakfast with Champions, we had no idea of the power that it was gonna have. We had no idea of the collaborations it would create. We had no idea that we'd be able to connect humans from England and Australia and Saigon and America, of course, all together in one room having powerful conversations that elevate everyone in the experience. Listen, if you like these episodes of Breakfast with Champions, do me a huge favor and let us know. We would greatly appreciate it. We pour into this. You're going to get five to six hours of content every single day, Monday through Friday, five days a week. You can keep coming back. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast. We'd appreciate it. Drop your comments, share your thoughts and your reviews. It mean the world to us if you would do that. And in exchange, we promise you that we will always create a space, a safe space where you can come. You're not going to get politics here. It's not going to happen. You'll never see any type of division in here. It's actually exactly the opposite. We have a bunch of different people with different belief systems, different upbringing, different backgrounds. We've got people from all different ethnicities all coming together. But the one thing that we share is everyone in this room shares the same heart. And it is a heart to elevate you, to encourage you, to inspire you, and to help you become the absolute best version of yourself that you can possibly be. So if you would, do us a favor, write those reviews, subscribe to the podcast, tell your friends. We're going to be here, and we hope that you will be too. Enjoy Breakfast with Champions. You'll see there in the notes that you can skip forward. You can move back. If you need to pause it for a minute, you'll now have that opportunity to do so. We do record these daily on Clubhouse. We have a Breakfast with Champions Club there, or you can follow me, Glenn Lundy, if you'd like to see those rooms, if that's an app that you enjoy. You can always come in and tune in live, or of course, just sit back and enjoy right here on the podcast and anywhere your podcast can be found. It is such an honor and a privilege to be able to spend this time with you. I know that there are a trillion places you could have chose to be. You chose to be right here with us on Breakfast with Champions, and that means the world to me, and I absolutely stinking love you for it. So with that said, we are excited to launch the new Breakfast with Champions podcast. Thanks so much. Hey, 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 hey.
Some of the funniest hays in the world. Um, I also pulled up uh, the one and only Brandon Bowers, who uh, helps me run my company. So you guys can see Brandon at the bottom up here. Uh, and what we're going to be talking about today are three pillars to growth. So feel free to unmute Brandon. I want to kind of pull Brandon in. Brandon is, uh, I know you guys have been hearing me ramble for, gosh, uh, a long time now. Uh, it feels like it's been almost a year, but it, I know it's been less than that, where every single Wednesday at 6.30, I've been going live. And I thought today it'd be interesting to pull in someone who works directly with the crazy maniac of Bill Hauser every single day and is the the person in charge of all the operations of the company that I run uh, and makes a lot of the decisions at the company and is able to, you know, actually experience the ups and downs of growth, not only in business, but also in life. So, uh, Brandon, welcome to the stage. If you could unmute, just quickly introduce yourself and then we'll go into the three pillars of growth. Thank you, Bill. Good morning, everybody. Yeah, Brandon Bowers joined SMB. I guess about two months ago now. So fairly new, although just like Bill said with uh, the clubhouse, it seems like we've been a, a partnership for much longer than that. So I uh, spent a number of years in custom clothing, no digital marketing or coaching experience, but it, uh, experience as an integrator at multiple companies. So happy to be uh, with SMB and uh, with the group this morning. So Brandon, what is an integrator in a company? Just so everyone can know. So my main role is to bring departments and a team together and to make sure that your vision and strategy is executed throughout the organization. Super important. And uh, if anyone has not read the book Traction before, T-R-A-C-T-I-O-N, the book Traction talks about the importance of having an integrator, having someone who can tie everything together, right? Um, so what we're going to be talking about today uh, is the three pillars to growth. And the first pillar that we wanted to talk about today is self-awareness. So one of the hardest things I think that people who want to grow in business or in their lives go through is they're just not accepting of their true gifts and their true personality traits. So what we're going to go through right now is we're going to go through three, three or four of the top uh, personality indexes. And hopefully as you listen to this, uh, you can kind of fit yourself into which of these personality indexes um, relate to you and your skills and your capabilities as a person. So um, I'll kind of start this off with the personality index that had the biggest impact on my life, which is called Colby, K-O-L-B-E. So Colby is, uh, was created by Kathy Colby. And what it does is um, it tests, what, what is it, Brandon? It tests conative, is that what it's called? That's correct. So Yeah, how you what, problem solve, how you handle situations. So it basically tests like how, if you were thrown into the line of fire, 
how would you problem solve your way out of a situation? Is that correct, Brandon? Yeah, that's the gist of it. So when I learned Colby, like when I took the Colby personality type in, uh, test, it changed my whole life because it, it showed me that I am a nine quick start. So there's, there's four categories within Colby personality index. I highly recommend everyone takes it. The, the first one is fact finder. So if you're thrown into a problem, if you're a high fact finder, that means that your first dominant mode of action to solve your way out of a problem is going to be to bury your head in research and try and get as many facts as you possibly can. So that's like a high fact finder, right? A low fact finder is going to be someone who is not going to want to weigh themselves down with all the details and want to start taking action faster, right? The next one category is follow through, okay? So follow through is your ability to create procedures, right? So if you were thrown into a problem and you're a high follow through person, which is the second category of Colby, then you're highly likely, if you're a high follow through person, to the first thing you're going to do is not gather the data. The first thing you're going to do is you're going to try to create a roadmap on how we're going to solve our way out of the problem. Right, you're going to basically create a procedure for how we solve how we're going to solve this problem. Right, so that's high follow through. The third category of Colby, this is what changed my life personally. And Dan Sullivan of Strategic Coach, who I've been coached by for a long time, um, is is a ten quick start. Um, and and I, the the third category is what's called quick start, quick start. And when I learned that I am a nine out of 10 quick start, which is really rare, I learned that my way personally of solving problems is by taking immediate action with no roadmap, no research. Like that is my dominant mode is I thrive when I'm thrown into a fire and told, Bill, figure it out right now. And when I learned that, it changed everything for me because I realized that the more that I prepare for things, right, the more I prepare for things, the more it actually weighs me down. And as I'm saying this out loud, I'm smiling because I overprepared for something that we did yesterday and it slowed me down. And there's, um, there, there's a lot to, to knowing how high of a quick start are you. If you're a low quick start, that means that you're a little uncomfortable like, for example, when I told Brandon that I was going to pull him up on stage, he texted me like three times saying, what's the topic? What's the topic? What's the topic? I was like, <laughs> I was like, we'll figure it out, man. Don't worry. Right. So that's two different personality types interacting right there. And the last category is what's called implementer. If you are like if your way of dealing with problems is to get very hands on and tactical. Um, like if, for example, if you're really good at assembling furniture or like doing very detailed assembly based stuff, or you're like technically proficient, like you could like fix computers and stuff like that and do very detailed stuff like that, you're usually going to be a high implementer. So, um, so that, that is like one of the most powerful things I've ever learned. So Brandon, for you, 
Um, talk to us about what you learned from Colby and then transition into kind of culture index and how powerful taking the lessons from Colby and culture index could be for someone to learn more about themselves. Yeah, so I, I actually learned culture index first. Uh, and when I joined SMB team, Colby was a part of the organization. So I'm now training myself up on Colby and I'll be certified towards the end of the year. This was also a game changer for me. I think I, as most people do, operate not knowing what their trait sets are, right? And the thing that we don't realize is that when we're thrown into a role that does not align with our natural trait set, we are putting ourselves in danger of burnout quickly from a mindset standpoint or from a, a mental energy standpoint. And so for a number of years, I was in sales, uh, which I'm a moderate quick start, not anywhere close to Bill. You know, Bill obviously thrived. He's talked about his, his previous sales experience and, you know, the, the fast growth at uh, SMB in the first few years. That's all due to his quick start, right? That's an advantage when a company's starting up. Anyone who's in sales or, or entrepreneurial, having a high quick start is very important for getting that growth off the ground. For me, I was a, a moderate quick start, high fact finder, uh, you know, I'm highly process oriented. And so, you know, those things can be a challenge. And I wasn't aware of those when I was younger. And so I was constantly fighting my natural trait set. I was successful due to my, my sheer will to win, but I definitely had, you know, mental burnout for a number of years. And so when I discovered what my natural trait set was and started learning about these different types of assessments like Culture Index and Colby, I realized who I truly was and where my strengths, you know, really lied. And I think the biggest thing that was uh, a turning point was when I heard a speech, and I'm, I'm not sure who it was that gave this, but they talked about not focusing on your weaknesses and trying to strengthen those, but continue to strengthen what your strengths are. And so that was, you know, kind of mind blowing to me because I'm a little older than Bill. And, you know, when I was first interviewing, you know, everyone focused on your weaknesses and it's viewed as a bad thing. People tried to spin the weakness, you know, I'm a perfectionist. So it's, it's a weakness, but it's really a strength. And, and really I learned to embrace what my weaknesses were. And instead of trying to strengthen them, I just learned to be aware of them and perhaps manage them. And then as I grew teams out, as I got into the role of integrator, which actually fits my natural trait set, I started to thrive. And instead of trying to focus on my weaknesses, I was able to focus on my strengths and then supplement my weaknesses with great people who were a good compliment to me. So it's kind of why, Bill, you and I make a great partnership because, you know, as, as you're aware, when we have our meetings, our ideas, strategy sessions, you know, Bill wants to jump into them right away, where I want to sit back and say, okay, let's talk about all the you know, pros and cons of this. Let, let's figure it out. I ask questions to Bill uh, to get more clarity so then I can go back and kind of do some research and then kind of lay it out and we can, you know, sort through these, these, uh, these ideas and make sure that we're only enacting the ones that are going to have the greatest success or the, the biggest impact on the organization. So I've been a huge fan of these assessments for a while. Um, and now Colby is kind of the one that we're going to be leaning into. So I appreciate that. And um, one, one thing that's really powerful I want to double down on, which I'm sure uh, everyone kind of leaned in when Brandon said this, is that you can do things that conflict with your true strengths. I'll say that again. Like, human beings are pretty versatile. You can do things that don't, 
you know, jive with your strengths. Like if a lot of people in sales, like this happens in sales, if you're good at sales, but really you're more of like a business owner, entrepreneur type, eventually you're going to start feeling burnout because sales is a completely different mindset than running a business. It's a requirement of running a business, but it only uses like maybe it, like when I was doing sales, it was only using maybe 15% of my brain and you can will your way into anything. So people who are really successful in business for the first year or so, or two years or three years or however long they'll roll up their sleeves and they'll be decently good at everything they do. Like when I started my company, when we went from zero to 1.5 million in the first two years, in those two years, I was rolling up my sleeves and I literally was doing everything. Like I was the one doing the sales. I was the one doing the limited marketing that we did at the time. I was the one building all of our client campaigns. I was doing the account management for our clients, right? I was doing the leading all the meetings in the company and everything. And yeah, I was, I was pretty good at it, but that's like, you can use your willpower like until you can't anymore, <laughs> right? You can use your willpower until eventually one day. And what, what I think happens is once you, once you start a business and your survival needs get met, I was interviewing someone who went from, who built a $40 million company in a few years yesterday, I interviewed him. Um, and I asked him, like, how do you motivate yourself once your survival needs are met? Like once, once you start a business and your survival needs are met and you reach, let's say, 100 grand a year in predictable income from your business or whatever. Like that's a pretty awesome milestone to get to $100,000 a year in profit, right? Where you're taking home over 100 grand a year. The problem, once that survival need is met and you're making six figures is, well, what next? Like, how do I motivate myself? Because the whole reason to get to 100 grand a year is survival at first. It's like, I got to get there, right? And then you get there and then you're like, I need a different motivating force because that motivating force is not going to drive me to 40 million or a billion dollars, right? So, so what happens is once you start getting options, meaning your business gets to a certain level to where you can afford to build a team, you're, you have two choices. A, you can just sit on the profits that you're making and just keep making however much money you're making, right? Or B, you can reinvest those profits to build a team of people so that everyone can be in their area of strength, right? So I remember when I had, when it was just me, there was no choice. There was literally no choice, but for me to roll up my sleeves and do everything because I had no help, right? As my team expanded to three people, three people, then it, it, it transitioned to a place where it was like, okay, I can stop doing one or two things that I hated doing in the business, right? Now that the team is 20 people, like 
I can really start doing the things that only the things that I love doing because there's, there's a team to, to, to pick up the slack where I'm weak. Right. And this is why I don't agree with a lot of the people that say, why would you, why would you, I mean, I'm sure you guys have heard this before. People say, why would you run a $20 million business that profited 1 million a year? Wouldn't you rather just run a $2 million business that profits 1 million a year? Like, why would you run a bigger business in gross revenues that profits the same amount as a business one-tenth its size? And the answer is pretty darn simple. Not all profits are made equal. If every profit that you earn in your business or in your life is dependent on your time, personal time, that is a low quality profit. If I run a $20 million business, okay, if I run a $20 million a year business and I profit a million a year from that business without it involving any of my time, that business, even though I'm profiting the same amount as I would in a $2 million business, profiting a million a year, same amount profit, if the, if the $2 million business requires me to be a slave to the business on call 24 seven, scared all the time, I would much rather take the bigger business with the same amount of profit, right? So the, the answer is, is, is always to go big. And I don't, and, and that's going to be kind of the next thing we'll transition into, but I just wanted to point out the importance of you know, finding a way to expand your resources as you build a business, expand your resources so that you can stay in your sweet spot. So the next one I'll go into, um, and then we'll kind of tie this together with culture index and some of the things that uh, Brandon's learned with culture index is uh, DISC, D-I-S-C. This is a more popular one than Colby. DISC, D-I-S-C, stands for your, uh, your decisiveness factor, your influence, your uh, stabilization, and then your, I forget what the C is because I'm really low on those. Um, but bottom line is like the S and C on DISC is how detailed you are and how systemized you are. I think it's like compliance and systems is basically a way to look at it for the S and C and I'm a 99 D and a 99 I, which means like I'm really decisive and I'm really social. If you're a low I, if you're low influence, um, that means that you're not very social. You're not very extroverted. High hey, D, Bill, Bill conscientiousness, conscientiousness. Bill. That's it. Conscientiousness. Yes. Got it. So funny. Cause I'm, I'm a low fact finder that, any of the uh, categories I'm low on, I, I just don't even read them. I'm like, yeah, I'm low S and C. I'm yeah. like, a <laughs> S is steadiness. I didn't know that I didn't because it's podcast style, so I didn't want to hop in. But yeah, yeah, disc is awesome. Great, great word. What yeah, is your so order I'm again, like, Bill? I'm like a ten S and C. What's that, Glenn? What is your your what is your numbers on this? I'm a 99D, 99I, and then like a 20S and like a 15C. 
Yeah, you and I are you and I are close. You're more you're higher D than I am. I'm an I'm a ninety nine I and like an eighty five D. But what was funny is my um they they I went to this event with Judge Graham and, and Matt Monero, their burn the ships event, and they like charted my like put my numbers actually like on a chart. And bro, like it was real high on the D, real high on the I, and then there was the S. And the C, they had to write it like below the piece of paper. It, 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 didn't, it wouldn't even fit, dude. My C was so low, it was negative. It was... <laughs> it's crazy, man. Yeah. I'm a really low I. No one would believe that, but I'm a really high D, obviously. I'm dominant. I'm a super low I. My I is like 30. It's really, really low. Um, I'm a high S, so I'm a, I'm a DS. And I think most people would think that I'm a DI, but um, I'm introverted, right? You would never guess that by Clubhouse, but I'm a low I, a really big D, um, a really S, a huge S, right? I'm really consistent and I, dominance and steadiness, that's, those are my dominant traits. Influence is really low. Wow. Wow. And I, the one thing I just want to like say here for everyone is Notice how like Glenn, Brielle and I can talk this language about like high D, low I. You, if, you, if you're like completely lost right now, take the disc assessment today, please. Just, just take, the, take the 30 minutes, take the disc assessment. If you've already taken disc, like just reread your disc. I try to do this every month. I, so I used to put it in my calendar. And I would just re-review all my personality assessments because especially with my personality type, like I, I don't even remember what I said two hours ago. Like I, I'm just like, I'm like a fly that like flying into windows all day. Like, Oh, that, that didn't feel too good. Let's go this way. <laughs> oh, let's go this way. That's pretty much how I live um, all the time. But that's why I need to reread and, and always re-embrace my personality type. So DISC, really, really powerful. You should know uh, how dominant you are, how decisive, how, how high are you on the influence scale. Because for someone like Brielle, who's a, who's a low I on the influence of, uh, scale, it doesn't mean she can't influence people. It actually, introverts are actually better at influencing people uh, in an organizational setting, and there's a lot more billionaires who are introverts than there are who are extroverts. If you look at the Forbes 500 list, um, and but what that means is that Brielle will get burnt out at some point if she's in a social gathering and and has to constantly be the center of attention. It, it's cool for a little bit until it's not, and then she has to recharge her tank. Right? Totally. That's so good. Absolutely. I. It's not my, it's my thing, like dominant D, I can lead a group, but I don't want to be, right, I can help structure, I can lead it, but I don't want to be the focal point. I don't want to be the center of attention, but I'm high S because I'm a great supporter, right? I'm really stable. You can count on me to like get it done. So the S is really high and the D is high, but the I, like, I don't want to be the center of attention. And then C, when it comes to like being cautious and careful i'm like hey let's get it done right it's not about like all the the minute details it's let's get it done um so yeah this is good this is good bill 
Yeah, it's definitely the amount of energy that you're taking out of yourself to do something. Like I'm an SCI, so it's I'm one of those like unique arcs. Although my D isn't that low, but it's still those are my dominant ones. But it, by the end of the day, I'm wiped out if I'm the one that's like running something. It's the amount of energy that is taken out of you as well. So that's how you kind of know where you kind of land on that spectrum and. Also, how you communicate. Like, I would not go to a high D without giving some details of, like, this is the the overall plan, and not go with minute details, like micro details. Like, you don't even want to hear the the micro. You just want to know the overall plan. This is how we're gonna do it. So it's also communication that makes it a lot better to know where you land on that spectrum. Yeah, this is Rocky. I just wanted to add really quickly. Um, I, I love the disc assessment. I'm actually a high D and a high um, I as well. And for me, um, if you're still on a nine to five, it helped me to stop bumping heads with my boss. I actually sent him my disc assessment and he's lean six sigma and all the things. So it actually allowed us to communicate better and work together better. And a lot of our projects were well done because I gave him the disc assessment. So I just wanted to add that as well. Hey, Rocky, this is Kim Walsh Phillips. That is so good. We act, We have a disc test before anyone comes to work on the staff to make sure they're fitting in the right spot. And the cool thing, any of you who have employees, when you have your staff members take a disc assessment, assessment, it actually tells you how they want to be acknowledged, recognized, and rewarded. So you do not need to guess. And each person has very individualized. I know my staff who wants to be publicly praised for the work that they do. I know my team that does not want to be publicly praised for the work that they do. And I want I know those that need actual numbers, dollars, and cents behind the praise, and you're able to acknowledge, recognize, and reward people based on what their um, exact preferences are. Kim Walsh Phillips, done speaking. Yeah, that's a great point. We actually, in our Slack channel, we have our Colby numbers at the end of our name, so everybody keeps these top of mind. And I, I highly recommend that anybody who is managing or running an organization definitely use these assessments in hiring to put people in the right seat. Uh, and definitely use them for communication and management of your team. Uh, it does wonders, and you need to keep it top of mind constantly. Bill and I are always keeping these top of mind, and it's definitely helped in our communication and uh, making sure we're on the same page. So I uh, highly recommend doing that. There's another one oh, that's – okay. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no problem. Go ahead. I will go as you. I was just going to say there's another one called PRINT, P-R-I-N-T, that we just learned about, which talks about unconscious motivators and holy crap we just took this a few weeks ago print is really powerful and um i found that i'm an eight three which essentially means um you know i have a drive to be the one in charge and to succeed and achieve right so my motivating force is like i like my unconscious motivator is to be the one in charge and to succeed and achieve. And I found out that my wife, Emily, her number one is to succeed and achieve. And her number two is to be correct and right. <laughs> so you can see how this would conflict. And actually, the number, the only reason that Emily, my wife, and I ever kind of ruffle each other's feathers is when I go against her need to be correct and right like she wants everything to be tidy and and it's not just it's not just her 
you know, she's a high S and C. She is. But this is actually her unconscious drivers. These are things that are below the iceberg. Like the when you look at an iceberg, there's that little tip that's at the top of the ocean and then all the rest that's under the ocean. Print teaches you your unconscious motivators and everything that's below that tip of the iceberg that actually drives you from an unconscious motivational standpoint. And I think that's really important to know because I could be a high D and a high I and, you know, I could also have an unconscious motivator to be correct and right. They're not mutually exclusive. So if I'm a high D and a high I, um, my team better know that things need to be correct and right. Now, thankfully with me, I, that, that is not one of my motivators. I, I'm more of like just a fly by the seat of my pants type. Um, but yeah, understanding your unconscious motivators is one of the most powerful ways to create team synergy, which we'll transition into in just a few minutes. I know someone wanted to chime in and then we'll go into team synergy. Oh, yes. Thank you, Bill. This is Mariana. I love this conversation because I'm, I'm actually work with this. Um, and I, was, I just wanted to say, Brie, I told Brianna, uh, Brielle, I totally resonate with you because I'm a DS, I'm a DSC, and a lot of people think that we are uh, influential, that we are people, we want to be the center of, of attention, but we actually use our mask. And usually in our mask, we are high eye. So we kind of perform depending on what the environment is, is expecting of us. So that's why uh, people think that we have an I on us, but we, we are really a DS. So I just wanted to chime in on that, which is really, really interesting. And I love it when people get confused about our personality. So thank you, Bill. I appreciate uh, the opportunity. Absolutely. Are we going to say something, Brandon? Yeah, I was just going to uh, comment on that. So I I'm the same way. Uh, many people think I'm an extrovert my whole life. They, they've always thought that, and I guess until I learned about these, I actually probably believed I was as well. Uh, but I'm actually uh, somewhat of an introvert. Um, I'm kind of very close to the line when it comes to culture index, of, so I can pull up my social ability. And part of the reason that, like with the mask that the last uh, woman was speaking to, is certain traits are more dominant than others. And so... In culture index, the A trait, the autonomy is like your driver, your gas pedal, which is similar to the D and disc. That one can overpower the other traits, right? So that one allows you to be more adaptable and malleable. Uh, and so when you have certain traits that are really, really high, like Bill, your, you know, your quick start, your D are really, really high, your drive to, you know, your will to succeed and win. And so you will do whatever it takes to be able to adjust to the situation accordingly. And people with lower Ds may not be able to adjust certain traits as much. So that's uh, what gives you the ability to do so. So much so that I, I was about to tell, uh, you know, I was immediately after yesterday, we, we're, we held a big event yesterday. Uh, and, and the second day of the event starts today. It's, it's uh, our, our quarterly summit. And we had a lower conversion rate than usual. <laughs> when I came home, Brandon, I went to the sofa and I was like, you know what? Winning is more important. I'm about to cancel the trip to Tulum. Why would we ever go to Tulum if I didn't win, right? If we didn't reach the numbers we wanted to reach at the event. And I thought to myself, well, that wouldn't speak Emily's language, right? And then there's love languages. There's, you know, there's, you know, I am a, 
I'm an acts of service love language. Oh, same. Oh, same. (laughs) I'm all that acts of service. Like gifts, gifts do not have any impact on me. Like you give me a gift. I'm like, uh, what, 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 what is this? You bribing me? I will take your gifts. So if they're passed to you, feel free to give them to Kim. (laughs) That's funny. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's an important thing to know with your significant other, right? Is, is what is their love language? Because, uh, you know, and then, you know, uh, and then there's also the, um, the the other one which uh, I'm blanking on right now. I'm, yeah, I'm it's acts of service, receiving gifts, quality time, physical touch, and words of affirmation. So for for Emily, my wife, it's quality time and physical touch, and those are my lowest. Those are like I like I like don't touch me. Is is <laughs> is kind of how I am, um, and you know since I'm so outcome driven, like. You know, my, my love language is, did you do something for me? And it's just, it is what it is. You know, you can't change all of your wiring. Um, But thanks for reading that, Brielle. There's one others I want one other personality type I want to point out, which is uh, Myers-Briggs. And this is more popular. I think most of the population has taken this if you've been through college. Um, And, you know, I'm an ENTJ. Um. And, you know, I actually, the, the Myers-Briggs can change. Like when I was in college, I was an ENFJ because I was worried about what people thought of me. And then once I started kind of stepping into my intellectual self, I, I very quickly became an ENTJ. I became more logical. Um, but regardless, the, the bottom line is this. The takeaway for everyone is be really curious about who you are. Be really curious about your, your, your God-given gifts and, and the things that you're never really going to be good at. And, and just be really curious because one of the, one of the first law of growth that we wanted to point out is self-awareness, right? And there's too many tools out there for you to be lying to yourself that you're going to become good at something that history shows you're not good at, right? And this ties into feedback analysis, which is something I brought up a million and one times from Peter Drucker, where you look back over your life in 18, six to 18 month chunks. And you look at over your life and you look at what are the things I did that felt effortless, where time stopped and where the results were phenomenal, right? And just being like a science, like treating this like a science project for yourself, like you're inspecting yourself. And you're looking like, where did I do something that was unconscious and time stopped? And where do I do things where my anxiety rises up, but I still keep guiltily doing it because I feel like it's a, it's just a to-do list item um, that I can't give up. And it, you will be mind-boggled when you start accepting the things you're not good at. That's the key. It's not about. It's not so much about gutting to the things you're good at. Because I truly believe that if you can get away from the things you suck at, it opens up the, the void, a positive void. It opens up the ability for you to then fill in your life with more of the things that you love. Um, and, and, you know, one thing that's quick, for those of you who are burnt out right now or feeling like you kind of hit a wall in your business, it's not always the business. It's not like you got to change everything you're doing. No, like oftentimes 
if you study successful people, they stick with one thing for a really long period of time, right? They have like consistency. They put all their focus towards one thing, but they find their place within that one thing. And I think a lot of people, because they don't accept their true personality type across all of these different tools, they misinterpret the vehicle as the problem. They misinterpret, they, they, they make sense to themselves that ah, I'm in the wrong line of business or ah, I'm in the, I gotta change jobs or I gotta change X or I gotta, I gotta just uproot my whole life and do something completely different. And nine times out of 10, I found that's not the case. There is 10% of the time, yeah, you're in a really crappy opportunity and you need to switch opportunities and having the awareness for that is important as well. So the second law of growth, and we just spent most of the time on the first law of growth, which is self-awareness. The second law of growth is really powerful and it's speed. So we're going to talk about speed next, not the drug, but how fast you act, right? So speed to implementation. I remember when I took a course, Actually, Brandon, did you want to chime in on culture index and how tying all those together before I transition? No, that's okay. It's very similar to the other, so I think we've covered the basics. Okay. So, okay, let's talk about speed. Speed to implementation. I remember the first course I ever took on entrepreneurship was from a guy named Eben Pagan, and he said, speed to implementation is the key to everything. How fast can you go from an insight to executing, right? So speed to implementation, I call, I created this framework that's called pioneer audit systemize or pioneer audit abandoned, right? And I've, I've brought this up a couple of times here. Pioneer audit systemize, pioneer audit abandoned. And the pace at which you pioneer new things will determine the pace at which you improve and reach new thresholds, right? So speed to implementation comes down to what is the most uncomfortable action that I can do based on the information that I learned to roll this out right now? I'll say that again. What's the most uncomfortable thing that I do where I can take something that I learned that will benefit my life and roll it out right now? Right. So, for example, like I've used examples with how we, you know, when I learned how to do webinars from Jason Fladlin, it, it didn't become a, you know, a, a, a 40 month project. It became like, OK, we're going to do this in a week. We're going to do our first webinar in one week. The most uncomfortable thing, if you guys are taking any notes right now, is scheduling it publicly. Commitments are made in the wallet or the calendar. I'll say it again. Commitments are made in the wallet or the calendar. Right? So if you didn't pull out the wallet or you didn't publicly calendar it, this is why I love webinars because when you have hundreds of people registered for something, like there is no backing out. When, when we run events at our company, we'll start promoting the event before we even have speakers lined up. We'll just start saying, hey, this event's happening this day. Sign up. We'll get questions in our email inbox that'll say, what's 
who's speaking at the event? Like, what times does the event happen? Like, ah, it doesn't matter. Everybody just sign up. The event's happening in a month, right? And then we'll change our Facebook ads as soon as we have all the speakers solidified. We'll update the ads and then we'll go, new, you know, and we'll do all of our rollouts as like new announcements, like new announcement. We got all these speakers, new announcement, this speaker, new announcement. Did it. And it keeps the buzz high when we're promoting events. Whereas, you know, other people will wait and wait and wait and not even do the event in the first place. So speed to implementation in any area of your life like just look at your life and look at the areas that aren't improving and 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 usually alongside anything in your life that's not improving there's something you didn't do new so brendan burchard calls this controlling for new controlling for new controlling for new means exactly what it sounds like. There needs to be a, you have to have control in your life over new things happening in your life. The only way your reality changes is through something new entering your life. So this directly conflicts the human brain. The human brain is a how did this work last time machine? The human brain is a, how did this work last time machine? How did this work the last time I did it? How did this work the last time I did it? How did this work the last time I did it? Your brain is literally designed for your survival, not for your growth. So you're going directly against your brain's natural tendency to protect your survival when you try new things. So it's important to be aware of that, embrace that and understand something new has to enter my life in order for something to change. So I'll give you a quick example on this. Yesterday, again, we had a lower conversion rate than I think we've ever had on one of our events. And we know we made two like stupid mistakes and we have this whole uh, standard operating procedure on how we run summits, our, our, our quarterly events, and we violated one of the principles, right? And I remember right after the event happened yesterday, I was freaking out in the office, Brandon, myself and Emily were in the office really late and we were just like, how did this happen? You know, da, 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 da. And we started look and I started questioning all these deep questions. Like, let's just go back to the way we did it before. Let's just go back to, we know this works. We know this works. We know this works. Let's just go back to how we did it before. And I started getting scared. Right. And I started thinking to myself, like, how can I, how can I just go back to what I know works? And that's fine. Right. But just understand you can't live your whole life going back to what works. You can't live your whole life going back to what you know works, right? So I just want to share that with everyone that, you know, comfort should be a thermostat for you, right? If you're Bill feeling, knows... go ahead, Brandon. Oh, sorry. Bill knows that I'm a big follower of Bigger Pockets, and I'm, I'm sure some of you out there listen to Bigger Pockets, the real, uh, real estate investing podcast. At the end of every podcast, they ask, what's the one thing? 
you know, when they have a guest speaker, they say, what's the one thing that prevents others from investing and being successful in real estate? And the number one answer is usually not taking action. And this is a kind of way to tie back to the, the assessments because I'm a high fact finder in Colby, right? And so I wanted to get in real estate the past couple of years and my fact finder kind of took over, right? And I wanted to research and like Bill said, go back and look at history and, and just, I was comparing, making spreadsheets, et cetera. And I lost out on one or two deals that to this day drive me nuts. And so now I put those on my wall as a motivator. And so now it's about getting in that uncomfortable space and just taking action that I'm looking at, and if those match, I'm just making offers. Because that's the only way to get to where I want to go is to make myself uncomfortable, get a little bit out of my space, and take the action. Yeah. So speed of execution, speed of implementation, way more important than, uh, you know, getting everything perfectly right. And trusting your gut. You know, I've, I've said this before, but your gut is a compilation. Your gut is a compilation of every past experience you've ever had, every conversation you've ever had, every book you've ever read, everything gets stored in your stomach in nerve networks that transfer from your brain to your stomach. So when you get a gut feeling about something, trust it, right? However, <laughs> I had this huge insight last week. Your gut feeling is different than fear. Your gut feeling is different than fear and understanding how to distinguish between is this feeling fear or is this a gut intuition is one of the most powerful skills you could ever have for fast execution. Right? So speed, the last point I want to hit on for speed of execution is having big beliefs, having big beliefs. I remember there was this guy that my wife, Emily, used to like look up to when I first met her. And he's a big real estate guy in the city of Philadelphia. And he was making a million dollars a year. And he's like, I don't know, 60 years old, right? And, uh, you know, I remember she would just say, oh, maybe one day we'll be as successful as this guy. Maybe one day. And at this point, like, I had no clients and I was just starting my business, right? And yeah, I remember having a conversation with her at dinner. I kind of like flipped out a little bit. And, and, and I was just like, why? I was like, why do you think a million dollars is a lot of money? Like, this is nothing. This is like, I, I am going to do this in like my first year and a half of this new company. Don't you see it? She was like, she didn't know what to think. We just met. We're just dating at this point in time, right? And I was like, this is not, a million dollars is not a lot of money. And my belief that a million dollars was not a lot of money was, a, was what allowed me to take rapid action to get to a million dollars in just, just over a year in my first business at 26 years old, right? Because I didn't think that was a lot of money. And I actually told her one night, I was like, you know, if I reach, if I reach this guy's age and I'm only making a million dollars, like my life was, was not to my personal definition of full potential, because to me, it's not a lot of money. Right. And even to me, like $40 million a year is it's a, it's a stepping stone. It's not even, 
it's just digits. It's one extra zero. It's, it's like not that big of a deal. And, you know, that's why I, I want to challenge everyone, make your beliefs into like real beliefs, real beliefs. People don't believe what they believe. People believe what they take action on. I'll say that again. People don't believe what they just believe. People unconsciously, there is a thermostat in everyone's head with your beliefs, right? And the human mind is smarter than the human brain. Yeah, I went there. The human mind is smarter than the human brain because the human mind includes the brain, the body, and the external world. It's the human mind is you as an entity, right? The human mind can see the relationship to your brain, your actions, the things you said you would do and the things you actually did do, right? And if the human mind picks up on the fact that you you have some goal to make a million dollars a year or 10 or 100 or a billion dollars a year or whatever, but your actions do not show that you are actually committed to that, eventually the mind is going to go, wait a second, let's limit the subconscious limit here. Let, let's, let's set the subconscious limit to X. So it's really funny. As I've set goals in my business to grow, I always know my subconscious limit when I go sit down with my accountant, right? It's so funny. When I sit down with my accountant or sat down with him, I, I don't do that anymore, but he would always ask me, what do you really think you're going to do this year, Bill? I was like, oh, we're going to do $8 million. He's like, no, 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 just for like an expense and tax planning perspective. Like, what do you really think you're going to do? Well, I actually think we'll collect X. And every time when I go, come down from the high of the confidence of the goal and, I, and my subconscious mind would come out during those meetings with my accountant. So everyone, there's one thing to pound your chest and have big goals, but only you know when you go to sleep at night, when you are with yourself, only you know that subconscious limit that you currently have, right? Only you really know that deep down. And the way you increase that subconscious limit is two ways that I've found that work for me. Auto-suggestion and mentors. That's it. Auto-suggestion is why if you guys follow me on Instagram, you see every single morning I record myself saying the think and grow rich the self-confidence formula and my major definite purpose statement. I say that every morning because like newsflash, I actually don't believe that I can reach the goals that I've set yet. But that's not going to stop me from creating a habit that makes that belief come true. So I have to repeat out loud verbally every single morning my goals until eventually, maybe after a year of doing it, my subconscious mind goes, oh, wait a second. He woke up every morning for 365 days and said he's going to make X per year. 
he's going to do, he's going to make X impact. Maybe this is real. Yeah, but nobody, nobody in his family, this is how my mind would interpret me, right? Uh, but nobody in his family did that, but he repeated it every day for 365 days and wrote down his goals every day for 365 days. So my subconscious mind, my limit raises and I start getting closer to my, my full potential. And then separate is mentors, right? So when I started, like, like Grant Cardone had a huge impact on my life. I did all the high-level masterminds with him when I was kind of, you know, going through a fast growth phase in my business. And, you know, he would look at me in front of hundreds of people when I do these boot camps with him. And he'd just be like, just tell me in front of hundreds of people, Bill, you're thinking small. What are you doing, man? I, I, I stood up and, and, and told him one of these boot camps when I hit 83,000 a month, I told him, um, I, I thought that was like an accomplishment. And he looked at me and he said, yo, are you bragging or complaining? And I was like, oh crap, I'm complaining. Right. Because his standard was different than mine. And the, the importance of a mentor is that they'll transfer their beliefs to you unconsciously. So if you spend time around people who are doing worse off than you, who don't have the income that you have, if you spend time with people who are worse off than you, you'll become that. And you'll create an environment where you feel guilty shamelessly owning your true potential. You'll feel guilty because everyone around you isn't there. So it is actually your duty and obligation to surround yourself with people who scare the crap out of you and make you feel puny. Like just yesterday, I interviewed one guy who has 300 employees and spends $25 million a year on advertising. He spends $25 million a year in advertising. Is the guy I interviewed yesterday. I felt pretty small after that. Then I interviewed a guy who, uh, you know, is just super powerful. went to 40 million and it's just like made me feel puny again. I remember having this insight when I was interviewing him yesterday. I was just like, damn, I am thinking small. Oh, that hurts. What am I missing? Right. He had a million dollar week. He made a million dollars in a week not even in a month collected. Right. And, and it, it's just, it's just, uh, Bill, it's so yes. powerful. Bill, Go yesterday, ahead. yesterday I did a training with my, uh, automotive dealers, uh, the, um, part of the cares act, there's an ERC, uh, ERC, uh, credit that, that, that they're giving away, right. That the government's giving away right now. And there's 1.9, trillion dollars 1.9 trillion okay and so as i was preparing for this uh training i wrote down the number 1.9 trillion and then i was like i want to i want to absorb like i want to like i want to i want to absorb that number so instead of just writing the word trillion and i want everybody to do it right now if you have a pen or paper in front of you, or you're on your phone, I want you to put the number one, and then I want you to put zero, 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 
zero, zero, zero, zero, zero, zero, zero, zero, zero. <laughs> I just wrote it in my notes. <laughs> As Grant Cardone is, says, Who, who's got my money? Apparently, it, they got my money. It is a thousand billion. A trillion dollars is a thousand billion. And this is money that they just have that they're just that they're just giving away, right? Like they're just yes, handing sir, it out. It's it's tremendous how small you know we've been trained to think, you know, a million dollars is a lot of money like what you're talking about. And breaking out of that is definitely difficult. But when you look at it, in the reality and what Bill is saying right here, get in those rooms, have those conversations and start to really look at it. It's it, there's, there's no shortage of money in the world. Zero, only a shortage of money mindset. Mm, yeah. So, I mean, this ties seamlessly into the last of the three pillars of growth. Number one, self-awareness. Number two was what we just went through, okay, which was speed, creating speed through your beliefs and speed of implementation on all your ideas, right? The last one is cash flow, right? And, you know, I understand there's certain businesses where you need investors, but I truly believe that everyone needs to study the information marketing business. If you can sell information, you can sell anything, right? So, I, you know, I've been on a research quest for um, quite some years now to learn, like, how does Tony Robbins sell tens of millions of dollars of education? How does Brian Tracy sell tens of millions of dollars of, of education? You know, how, how do these legends, you know, John Maxwell and, and authors and because I, I truly believe all marketing is information marketing. Right. All marketing is information based marketing. It's a form of information that someone wants. Your marketing is a gate. It's a it's a thing that someone needs to pass through in order to get the information that they want. So therefore, if everyone can learn how to be an information marketer, you can learn how to create cash grab scenarios. Right. And there's a lot of uh, I know there's a lot of people starting out who don't have money. And, and are thinking like, do I need to borrow money? The answer is almost never to borrow money unless you're actually creating like an earth shattering tech product. Like you wanna learn how to get upfront cash flow for your ideas. And I personally have not found a better way to do that than through sales, getting really good at sales or getting really good at marketing information products. Um, in, in the world, I mean, I was just at a mastermind with these people who, I mean, you know, are working not that much and running these e-commerce stores where they're making like one to two million dollars a month just selling information products at 50 percent margin. It's such a big opportunity for a lot of people listening right now. Um, there's a low barrier to entry. And all you really have to learn is how to do offer creation how to create videos and how to run ads uh, and how to build funnels. And the barrier to entry to that is not that high um, compared to other industries. So just want to challenge everyone, like study information marketers. 
um, and, and find a way to apply it to your business. So I'm at the end of my time. I'm Thank you for joining us on Breakfast with Champions. If you want to catch the live version, you can follow us on Clubhouse and listen from 5 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, Saturday 6 to noon, and Sundays with our 111 Sunday service. Make sure you're keeping up with Breakfast with Champions and getting yourself a seat at the table.